Resolve. To decide firmly on a course of action. What kind of resolve do you have to follow Christ? Is it lifelong or convenient? Passionate or dry? Casual or consistent? As we embark on a new year, let's look at our lives in the light of Scripture. Let's get back to the basics to live sold out for Jesus. Let's strive to live victoriously. Well, I want you to uh, join me in welcoming First Norfolk on Volvo. What a great day it is for our church, and uh, we're so excited about what God has in store for First Norfolk on Kempsville and on Volvo and on those, uh, in those other locations that God has already mapped out. We just haven't figured them out yet. Uh, we're excited about uh, the journey that God is taking us on. Um, well, today is a day of an epic battle uh, between good and evil, right and wrong. Good being the Philadelphia Eagles. I know it. I, I'm in trouble now. But anyway, you, these two teams, and certainly we have to look at these two teams and understand that they both have fought hard and and uh, endured great hardship in order to get to the greatest football game of this year in professional football, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 52, and, and uh, these two uh, giants are playing. No, the giants aren't playing because they're not nearly good enough. But <laughs> if there was one team in the NFC East that the Cowboys knew they could beat, it was the Giants. But uh, I don't know if they did. But anyway, we do have these two great teams. Uh, one, uh, the favored team is the team that has won the Super Bowl time and time again, coming back after uh, insurmountable first half last year. They, they beat the Atlanta Falcons in a comeback win that was uh, really one for the record books, led by a coach, Coach Belichick, who uh, is a master strategist and one who has uh, the ability, a unique and innate ability as a coach to get the most out of the players that he has. He's able to take the, the uniqueness of his team, not really um, uh, always having all the right p pieces in place, but he is able to maximize his strengths even as he minimizes his own weaknesses as a team. He is a master strategist, and he knows how to win. And then you have a quarterback. Tom Brady, who probably, uh, probably will go down uh, as, at least in my lifetime, as the greatest quarterback of, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> probably go down as the greatest quarterback of at least my lifetime. Uh, he is uh, really an amazing uh, picture of victory and winning and, and knowing just how to uh, to inspire the troops on that offensive side to uh, go down and score just what is needed, just when is needed. Um, that is on one side. And then you have the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, their, their coach is somewhat relatively unknown right now, and their quarterback is a backup quarterback. Uh, this is a team that this year has done uh, great, great things. They have won their battles decisively. They're a team that, 
that uh, is truly made up of individual players united together with a common goal. I will say this, both Nick Foles and Carson Wentz are strong followers of Jesus. Therefore, the Philadelphia Eagles are the team we must root for. I'm just saying. Anyway, it's a football game, y'all. That's all it is. It is just a football game. Do you realize there's going to be another Super Bowl next year? And, and that will happen next year. And, and, and just like there was a Super Bowl last year and different teams, or at least one different team's playing this year, we know that it's just a game. And, and it's fun and it's wonderful and it's exciting if you're into that kind of thing, but it's just a game. Today we're going to look at an epic battle that has great significance And it's more than just a game. It's a battle that rages within you and within me. It's a a battle for obedience to God. It's a battle that we face, and it it, it, it makes a Super Bowl pale in comparison to significance. And I'm talking about the everyday decisions of obedience versus disobedience that you and I face As followers of Jesus, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, we looked at this last week. If you remember, we looked in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and we saw how that that Jesus lived for God's pleasure, so much so that even though there was no reason uh, outwardly for him to be baptized by John the Baptist, he went ahead and he was baptized. We looked Matthew chapter 3 as to why Jesus uh, was baptized. He said, And John the Baptist was objecting. He said, Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And and I would have said the same thing. But Jesus said to John the Baptist, he said, no, let's get this thing done. Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus was saying, hey, listen, I have to be baptized because that's what God wants me to do. That is my act of obedience to God in this moment. So so as we looked at at that passage, and then we hear verse 22, the heavens opened, the the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus in the bodily form as like a dove, and and, and then the heavens opened, and a voice from heaven, God the Father himself, he says uh, to Jesus, you are my beloved son. And here's the phrase that we need to hear. I mean, we need to hear as followers of Jesus, in you... I am well pleased. See, what gives nourishment to our soul, what gives um, passion for our everyday life, what, what, what drives us in the deep places of who we are is God's pleasure. Us living our life for God's pleasure. And, and as we saw last week, that's part of your DNA. That's who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. You want to please God. And, and if you don't have a desire in your heart to please God, then chances are you're not a follower of Jesus. No matter how many times you go to church or how many, uh, how many conferences, Bible conferences you've attended, no matter how many scriptures you've memorized or how many prayers you pray a day, If there is not within you a deep desire, a yearning, a passion to please God, then probably you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm not even talking about pleasing God perfectly because I don't please God perfectly and neither do you. But but if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to please God. You want to hear the Father in heaven say, you are my beloved son or my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. That's who we are. That's part of our DNA. Now, we saw... 
last week that, that the pathway for God's pleasure, we, we please God when we obey God. Obedience is connected to our love for God. We say that we love God, then we're going to obey him. And obedience brings him pleasure, okay? And so, so today, what we need to understand is that obedience is essential part of our life as a follower of Jesus, obedience to God. And, and, and the greatest enemy, as we saw last week, the greatest enemy of my obedience to God is what I want. The, the greatest enemy for me obeying God is what I want rather than what God wants. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. See, what we're going to look at today is, is this great temptation in, in Luke chapter 4, especially. We're going to see how that Jesus leads us along this path to, to, to win this battle. This battle that rages within us, a test of obedience. By the way, do you know that temptation is simply a test of our obedience to God? Temptation is where we battle this test between will I do what God wants or won't I? That's temptation. We want to make temptation a lot of different things, but bottom line, temptation is where you and I decide. Am I going to, be, am I going to obey God or am I not going to obey God? And so as we look at the victory that Jesus brings, and especially in Luke chapter 4, as he is facing his test of obedience, uh, we'll follow after him and discover ways that we can live so that we do live victoriously. All right, so, so as we're looking here, let me say something about the genealogy. See, right after the heavens open and God the Father says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Then verse 23 begins a genealogy of Jesus, okay? So, so this is the genealogy. A uh, couple of things, and I won't take a lot of time with genealogy, but let me just say this, a couple of things about it. First of all, this genealogy, like the, unlike, unlike the other genealogies in the New Testament of Jesus, this one begins with Jesus and ends with Adam, the son of God. The other genealogies begin with the furthest relative, you know, way back when. Uh, so in my heritage, I go back to 1600s, and there was a Hauser in Germany who uh, then had a child and moved over into, uh, they moved into the Pennsylvania area, and they had children, and, that's, and there's another Hauser, another Hauser, another Hauser, another Hauser, until you get to my grandfather, Calvin K. Hauser, and, and, then, and then he had a daughter. Her name was Jan Hauser, who married Claude Thomas, and they had a son, Eric Thomas, and I'm the son of Claude and Jan. So, so most genealogies begin with our furthest relative and lead all the way to us, okay? But, and that's the way the genealogy in Matthew and, and, and biblical times was as well. This one is unique because it begins with Jesus. And so it begins with the ministry of the person of Jesus and, and then flows all the way down, not to Moses or Abraham or David, but goes all the way back to Adam, like Adam and Eve in the garden. So uh, Adam, uh, the son of God, here, uh, and, and the lineage is traced from Jesus to Adam. Now, why is that significant? Significant on a couple of points. First of all, it's significant because it, it shows us the, the, the connection, and what Luke is trying to say is Jesus came uh, not just for the Jewish people, which would have found Abraham as their father, but goes all the way back to Adam. That's all of us. 
You know, all of us are descendants of Adam. And so Jesus has come not just for the Jewish folk, but for all of us, the Gentiles and the Jews. So that's significant. The second part, and which is even more significant, is that Luke is describing Jesus coming uh, to set right what Adam got wrong. See, Adam had his own Super Bowl, his own, his own epic battle uh, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 where the devil comes along and he entices Adam and Eve to disobey God and Adam and Eve fail that test. And from that moment on, all of humanity has been cycling down in this cyclone of despair and emptiness and death and darkness because we have been inclined to sin and we've chosen sin ourselves and that sin has separated us from God. And so Jesus has come to fix what his forefather, Adam, messed up. And, and here in Luke chapter 4, we see the, the test of obedience immediately coming to bear. So, so Adam blew his test. Also the children of Israel. Um, if you look at the, at the temptation of Jesus, in verses 1 and 2, it says that after Jesus was baptized, he left the Jordan and, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was being led by the Spirit, he went into the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, he was tested by the devil. All right, so, so that's the scenario, but, but the, the comparisons are pretty stout between what Jesus experienced and what Israel experienced. You remember Israel, Israel uh, led up by God out of bondage in Egypt and, and, and through the Exodus, they parted, God parted the Red Sea, they walked through on dry ground uh, and, and then they get to the edge of the promised land and they say, no, we're not gonna go into the promised land. They disobey God, they fail that test of obedience and then uh, they uh, wander, not for 40 days in the wilderness, but for 40 years in the wilderness. And as they're wandering 40 years in the wilderness, they are tested on many different occasions. Uh, will they obey God or will they not obey God? Will they exalt their own desires above God's desire? And they failed the test of obedience over and over and over again. So as we come to Jesus, not only is he uh, doing battle with the devil who won the battle against Israel and won the battle against Adam, now he's coming and the devil's going to do battle against Jesus. And he is pretty cocky. He thinks he's got this figured out. The devil approaches Jesus in the wilderness and he thinks he understands how he's going to lead Jesus to disobedience. After all, he's done it before. After all, he's led many, many, many to fail the test of obedience. He's led you and me to fail the test of obedience. How many times? How many times have I failed the test of obedience to God? How many times? I can't even count. I can't even count on this week. It's just enormous. And so when the devil comes along, he, 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 at this Super Bowl, I mean, he's won a bunch of Super Bowls before, and, and he thinks he's got it figured out. And, and here comes Jesus, and he thinks, hey, listen, I can beat him because I've done it before, much like the New England Patriots. But anyway, that's The devil comes along, he thinks, I've got this figured out. And Jesus does not fail the test of obedience. And Jesus is victorious. 
Oh, what a good news for you and me as followers of Jesus, as those who have been rescued from our sins, guilt and shame, those who have been brought into the family of faith, those of us who have been transformed by God's grace. Now we desire to please God and we know we please God when we obey him and when we face the test of obedience that we will face today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, we have a model, an example. We have a person to whom we are linked who has already won the victory. So today, let's learn from him because Jesus blazes a trail for victory for us to follow. Jesus blazes this trail as he faces the devil in one-on-one royal grand combat. He's ready to take it in this royal rumble in the square octagon, this octagon square. He's ready. That's wrestling. Sorry, y'all. He's ready to do a... A mighty leg drop on the devil. He's getting ready to do a diamond cutter on him. Y'all don't know what that is because you don't know Diamond Dallas Page. But if you did, he's getting ready to do a junkyard dog on him. So here we have too many metaphors, I know. All right, so here we have Jesus and the devil. and, And this is not an accident. This has been planned. The Spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, they're, uh, as they describe this, this temptation, Mark chapter 1 says that the Spirit cast Jesus out into the wilderness. Matthew chapter three, 4 says that, that the Spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness to be tested by the devil. This wasn't an accident. This was the path that God had for Jesus to follow because Jesus wanted Uh, Jesus came on a mission to be the captain of our salvation. He came on a mission to be the rescuer for us. And he had had a great victory to win. Let me read, uh, beginning in verse 1, Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted... For forty days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when, they, uh, when these days had ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil, uh, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, Uh, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and, and, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of a temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not test the Lord your God, or tempt the Lord your God. Now the devil had ended, when the devil had ended every temptation, He departed from Jesus, last phrase, a little scary, until an opportune time. I I want you to understand that the devil is tricky, and and he has in his mind um, different ways to trip us up in faithfulness and obedience to God. 
But the good news is, is that Jesus is stronger than the devil. That Jesus has already gained the victory and we just have to follow after him. Now, I do want you to understand that in no way am I suggesting that we can be uh, permanently victorious. Uh, the battle that rages in me is uh, pretty disheartening at times. I, I, I know that you've faced that as well. It, it can be disheartening uh, to uh, strive to be a faithful follower of Jesus, be obedient to God, but, but then... It um, seems like in a moment's notice, you've tripped up and you've chosen what you want above what God wants. I, I'm not suggesting that somehow this is a surefire way to make sure that every battle that you face is going to be won. Uh, but I can assure you of this, there's no way to win the battle unless we follow in the steps of Jesus. And we can win the battle when we follow in the steps of Jesus. So let's take a moment. Let's evaluate what Jesus did. I don't have time to dig down deep into the details of, of certain aspects of this, but I do want to say this. Um, Jesus is led by the Spirit, and he's full of the Spirit. Um, and, and that is a reminder to us that if we're going to uh, be victorious in the battle of obedience, in the test for obedience to God, if we're going to win over uh, the temptations that come our way, then we need to be full of the Spirit of God. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. That means that we need to walk in the Spirit. And, and the Apostle Paul said it this way. We talked about it last week. Um, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you want to be victorious, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, it means we do what Jesus did. We walk the path that the Spirit Paves. We, we, we say yes to what the Spirit of God says. We, 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 we understand, we hear from Him what God wants, and then we do what God wants. That's how we are full of the Spirit and how we walk in the Spirit. We, we follow after the Spirit of God. We yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. Now, how do we know if we're yielding to the Spirit of God? Well, uh, we need to have a heart that is saturated by the Word of God. See, the Spirit speaks through the Word of God. And, and so Jesus, he, he, he has been listening to God, and he has been student of Scripture. He's been uh, examining Scripture uh, since he was a child. He could quote Scripture. He understood Scripture uh, as, a, as a child. He, he got it. He figured it out, and he was able to recite it. We, we, we hear that in Luke chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago when we saw that Jesus was sitting in the temple and by the questions he was asking and, and even the Scripture that he was pointing Pointing toward, he astounded the teachers of the law because uh, he had such understanding and wisdom. Well, as, as we come here today, we need to hear what Jesus did. Jesus, led by the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God, went into the wilderness. The devil comes and tries to derail Christ's obedience. And, and the, the tool we'll see in a moment, the tool that the devil uses is uh, he's trying to get Jesus to, to get focused on something other than what God wants. Well, the nature of our testing is always between what we want and what God wants. It's always that way. The greatest enemy of obedience is what I want. So how do you battle what you want? And, and, and you know, devil made me do it doesn't really fly that much. It didn't fly that much in my house. I tried it a couple of times when I was a kid, um, you know, and I got caught. Uh, burning the hair off my G.I. Joe or something. I, I, that's when the G.I. Joe had hair, right? You know, like back when I had hair. But anyway, it, 
when I did, when I did something, um, I would, you know, I, I don't think I ever really said the devil made me do it, but I said, I just couldn't help it. It, just, I, it was there. I had to do it, you know. And it's kind of that devil made me do it thing. I, I don't think that's the model that we need to follow. See, Jesus didn't, didn't just succumb to the devil's enticements. He, he had a plan. He had a game plan for victory. And that game plan in, included a heart that was saturated with God's Word. And we know in Ephesians 6 that when we, when, when we want to withstand the fiery darts of the devil, we need to put on the whole armor of God. And, and having put on the whole armor, we stand, right? But, but part of that armor is not only the helmet of salvation, not only the, the belt of, of truth, not only the breastplate of righteousness, not only the sandals of the gospel of preparation of the gospel of peace, not only, uh, not only the, the shield of faith, but it's also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit that, that, that is our offensive weapon. When, it, when, when the devil attacks, when temptation strikes, when the test of obedience begins to weigh heavy on us, we have God's Word to, to, to spring up out of us just as it did Jesus. Every temptation, Jesus quoted Scripture at the devil. The devil said, if you're the Son of God, do this. Jesus quoted Scripture. He took Jesus to the mountain and said, I'll give you everything if you just worship me. Jesus quoted scripture. Third temptation, if you're the son of God, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and, and, and God's word says he'll pick you up and he'll take care of you. And, and Jesus quoted scripture. In the face of every test of obedience, we need God's word soaking our heart. I, I just want to ask you, is, is, is your view of saturating your heart with God's Word, a one-day-a-week event. Your only encounter with God's Word is a one-day-a-week day event. It, it, it doesn't soak into your soul. It just kind of kind of skims across the surface of your mind. You, 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 you understand what God's Word says, but it doesn't saturate because you only take 20 or 30 minutes or 40 minutes if the preacher goes long. Uh, you, you've got this, these few minutes here in this place, and that is the Bible that you look at, and you close it, and you put it on a shelf, and you never look at it again, and you wonder why it is you're always getting defeated in the test of obedience got to open God's Word. It has to be more than a one-day event. Open God's Word and allow it to soak into your soul. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. He said, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young woman cleanse her way? How can a, uh, an old man cleanse his way? How can an older woman cleanse her way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Then, verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guys, you want to win the test of obedience? You've got to hide God's word in your heart. Um, I, I, I'm so thankful for um, my parents. And I had life group leaders, Sunday school teachers. I had an RA director who planted in me um, the necessity of memorizing God's Word. And so I began at a very early age memorizing God's Word, and I still memorize God's Word. I still, I still every day try to plant God's Word in my heart. 
Why? Why, why, do we, why, should, we, why should we plant God's word? So that we might not sin against God. When we take seriously the DNA within us to please God, then we will take seriously the tools God gives us to please Him. We need to have a heart that's saturated with God's Word. It, it is interesting, when, when I was a young adult, as in my late teens and early 20s, there were particular uh, uh, enticements that I was susceptible to. And particular sin paths that I would uh, be more inclined to walk, and and I realized those things is pretty quickly, and so I began to I began to think I, I you know I'd wake up and 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 go through my day and and then go to bed and and throughout the day I'd I'd be I'd be just struggling with guilt because of the sin paths that I would walk and whatever those things were. And so, uh, so then finally I said, I'm tired of, of just being a sponge for this sin. I'm tired of just, just acting like I have no power over it. What do I need to do to combat the sin in my life? And the Bible uh, became pretty clear at that point. Well, you need to plant God's Word in your heart. Hey, look, if, if you think that you can do life without God's Word, then you have lost your ever-loving mind. You are empty and incomplete, and you will not be satisfied apart from the truth of God and his word. We need it to nourish our soul. So I began to memorize scripture. I mean, I began to, I, I began to find the scripture in uh, the Bible, the, those passages that spoke directly to my sin enticements. And man, I'd plant them everywhere. I'd put them on the visor of my car, and I'd put them on the uh, 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 windshield and the dashboard and the refrigerator and the refrigerator and the refrigerator because that was my favorite place. And I'd put it on the bathroom mirrors. I, I'd put it everywhere. I'd put these verses everywhere, and I'd be memorizing all these passages of Scripture. I, I was... I was soaking my heart in God's Word. But then I realized that there was a disconnect. See, it's not enough to have a heart saturated with God's Word. I I had those passages memorized, and they were there. But there was a disconnect between a heart saturated with God's Word and a heart submitted to God's will. See, I needed both. I needed both. It wasn't enough for me to be able to quote Scripture. It's not enough for me to memorize volumes and volumes of Scripture and be able to quote it at you at a moment's notice. That's nice, but that is not going to lead to ultimate victory in the test of obedience. I not only need to have a heart saturated with God's Word, I need to have a heart submitted to God's will. I need to have a heart that is that is so... Um, passionate for God and all of his glory and his purpose in this world. And I don't want to offend him. I don't want to displease him. I don't want to go against him. I love him so much. I want to do what he wants me to do. And so when God's word says you need to do A, B, or C, I will not be deterred and walk a different path. The devil came to Jesus and he said, okay, I know, I know, I know that you think you're here for a special purpose, but let me just tell you something. I can do some stuff for you. You're sitting there hungry. Let me feed you. Just, just walk this different path. Do, do something different. Show your power. Let people see how great you are. Just worship me. And you won't have to go through the rigmarole that God wants you to go through. I, I, I know that there are things that you think you need to do, but I can give you a shortcut to those things. I can satisfy you, the devil says. 
Jesus would not be enticed by an alternative plan that the devil presented because his heart was submitted to God. Is your heart submitted to God? Again, remember that the greatest enemy of obedience is what I want. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. uh, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each one is tempted... When he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when that desire, and that desire gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Okay, James 1, 14 and 15. So I, let's just understand ourselves a little bit, okay? Follower of Jesus, brother and sister in Christ, can I just, let, let's just take a moment and understand ourselves. Each one is tempted. You're tempted and I'm tempted. Not by what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is saying. I'm tempted to disobey God when I am drawn away and enticed by my own desires, what I want. So if we're going to be victorious in the test of obedience, we need to elevate what God wants above what we want. We, we can't allow our desire to win the day. Why? Because when desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. I, I, you might not believe the Bible to be true. I do. But even if you don't believe the Bible to be true, I think you could ask a lot of people in this room, and they would tell you anytime I choose disobedience to God, the result is destruction. The result is devastation. You will not be satisfied in life choosing a path that's alternative to God's will. None of us will be. And even if you talk yourself into it, even if you can quote Scripture at at taking an alternative path, make no mistake, if you are not submitted to God's will, if if, if you exalt your desire above God's will, that's called disobedience, and the end result will be devastation. The consequence will be death dealing. It will hurt you. It will hurt the ones you love. It will hurt those around you. It will devastate. God's gracious in the midst of it, and I'm thankful for that. But the result, the consequence of my disobedience is death-dealing blows. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to be obedient to God. And Jesus took God's word and he submitted to God's word. What he knew in his heart, what was soaking his heart, became what saturated his actions. He had a heart that was tuned to God's will and he had a heart that was turned to God's will. See, when God's word speaks to you and it says, stop stealing, then stop stealing. God's word says you don't be a gossip, then don't be a gossip. 
God's word says to you, um, uh, don't uh, lie, then don't lie. Now, we get that. We understand that, but the distance between what God's word says and us conforming to God's word can seem like a big distance. What will help us make up the distance? How can we have a heart that's saturated by God's word and submitted to God's will and, and, and still move forward toward obedience? Even though there's this disconnect, even though there's a desire in me to do what God doesn't want me to do, or a desire in me not to do what God does want me to do. How can, how can I bridge that distance? And the, the distance is bridged by Jesus. And we need to set our focus on Jesus. We have a heart that's saturated by God's word, a heart that's submitted to God's will, and finally, we need to have a heart that is focused on Jesus. We need to set him as the, as the bullseye of our everyday life. We need to have him, his passion, his purpose, his design, his desire, his life pulsing through our heart as the very blood of our soul. We need Jesus. We need, to, we need to wake up in the morning, hearts on fire for Jesus. We need to go through the day, uh, uh, just hearts beating as a passion for Jesus. We need to go to bed thinking and longing for Jesus. We need to be focused on Jesus. We need to be so in love with him that his love begins to direct our steps. This is the difference maker. This is what leads us to victory. We set our focus on Jesus, not on, not on our enticements, not on the lust, not on the disobedience. We set our focus on Jesus. We follow after Jesus. Now, here's some passages that will help us. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, it, in verses 1 and 2, it's, it's, it's real simple. It, 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 the writer of Hebrews is saying, Here, here's what needs to happen in your life. You, you're, you're facing all kinds of tests and trials, and he's written about that. And then chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that's been set before us. Laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Setting our gaze on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do we need to do? We need to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Stop pretending like it's okay to fail the test of obedience over and over and over again. Lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. Stop pretending like you can't help it anymore. In Romans chapter 8, the scripture says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead abides in you, then that spirit, that same Holy Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies so that you can reckon yourself Romans chapter 6, so that you can reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to lay aside the sin and the weight that trips us up. And how do we do that and continue in that course? We set our gaze upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we set our gaze on Jesus, when we have a heart that's focused on Jesus, here's the good news. He begins to focus on us. Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 
13 says that we are naked and laid bare before him to whom we must give an account. It means that he sees us inside and out. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, yet uh, he was tested in every point, even as we are, yet Jesus never sinned. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. All right, so here's the test of obedience. We have a heart that's saturated with God's word, and then we have a heart that's, that, that is submitted to God's will. And so we start focusing on Jesus, have a heart that's focused on Jesus. We want to lay, lay aside our sin and the weight that trips us up. We've got our focus on Jesus. We're, 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 we're looking to him. We're, we're focused on him. And then Jesus starts to focus on us. Our high priest becomes our advocate, and he begins to provide for us the grace and the mercy that we need to help us win the test of obedience. The reason we lose the test is because we don't look to Jesus. We look to our sin, or we look to our guilt, or we look to our pleasures, or we look to our lust, we look to what we want. When we start setting our gaze upon Jesus, we want to run with endurance the race he set before us. Then he begins to provide the victory we need. He's the one who comes with the grace and the mercy that we need to help us at our time of need. By the way, that's how God's love works. Oh, God's love has worked in an amazing way to bring this rescue toward us. Not just a rescue from hell, not just a rescue from our sin uh, that, that, that destines us to hell, but, but God's love has worked so that he might provide Jesus and, and his word and the spirit to, to, to lead us daily toward victory. God's love is working in your life right now. And he's opening your eyes and opening your heart to to focus on Jesus, to submit to his will, to to saturate and soak in his word so that you might live victoriously. God's love is at work for you right now to surround you with with his comfort and his grace, uh, to to show you the, the, the value of the pain and the weight of, of, of your conviction over sin, but, but also to show you that there is grace. There is great grace and there is great power over your sin. Today, God's love is operative. And it's my prayer that as we here today, as we engage in this epic battle that will take place here and now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, that we will follow Jesus along the trail that he has blazed and we will be victorious. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, I want to invite you to, first, as a follower of Jesus, I invite you to lay down the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares you. I invite you to Turn that weight and that sin over to Jesus and let go of it. Some of you need to come to this altar and you need to lay down your sin. As followers of Christ, you've been holding on to your disobedience and acting like it's your right. But it's not. And today, conviction of sin calls you to repentance. Lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. Some of you need to come to this altar today 
And I invite you to come to cry out to Jesus, to set your focus on him. Stop looking at everything else. Just gaze upon Jesus in this moment as he directs you. Some of you need to come and you need to commit yourself to be a a student of God's word so that it soaks into your soul. Not not a a one-day-a-week person, but an everyday throughout the day. I'm letting God's word saturate my heart. More importantly, you want God's word to show you God's will, and you want a heart that's submitted to what God wants. Maybe there are points of disagreement between you and God right now. And I mean that. There are points of disagreement between you and God, and today you need to stop disagreeing with God and get on his train toward victory. So I invite you to do that as well. All this to say that Walking in the path that Jesus has blazed will lead to victory. And the good news is that God's love will secure us and strengthen us toward that victory. And Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long and accounted as sleep, as sheep. For the slaughter. Yet in all these things, in every test, in every trial, in every struggle, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, God, right now, I pray that we would soak in your word. And your word tells us of your great love that will strengthen us and empower us, that will help us stand secure in the victory that Jesus has given us. Now, I pray that you would lead us in this place at this moment to set our focus upon our deliverer, Jesus himself, and that we would adjust our life to fit what your word requires. Now be glorified in this moment as we respond obediently to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our ministers are going to be here at the